Last night as I was getting ready to come over to church, I was putting on my shoes in the front door and I saw my youngest grandson's remote controlled car that the early previous day had been the object of his undivided attention already languishing in a corner, you know. So our gifts are geared for that quick, rapid uh, reduction or loss in their ability to satisfy us. And the advertising industry is already ready now churning up discontent with what we have and anticipation for what we still have to buy. I want to unpack a different kind of gift for you today. Last week I shared with you in the, in the course of my message that there's one gift that God would allow me to give to you or ask for Him to give to you. It was that every one of us might know deep down within in the core of our being that we are truly loved and cherished by God and that God takes a holy delight and pleasure in us. Today I kind of want to focus on the second half of that gift. Because as we know from our human experiences, if we know someone in whom we are in that kind of a love relationship, a natural expression of that is communion and enjoyment of that. A two-way communion and enjoyment of that relationship. It ought to be the same way when it comes with God. If God loves us as He does, then communion with God and the enjoyment of that relationship is, is, is the second half of that. And... That is the gift that I want to unpack for you today. Now, if you've been coming to this church for more than four years, you say, well, I heard this message four years ago. Why are you preaching it again? Well, for several reasons. First of all, since that time, I've had the opportunity to share this message in various settings, both overseas and here. And it's it's the one message in the series that often gets the most response from people in terms of what seems to be helpful to them. So I thought, well, there's a lot of people that have come to this church since the last four years. And for those of you who have a good mem- who don't have a good memory, you need to hear it again anyway. Uh, for those of you who are already practicing it, you need encouragement to continue. Uh, and for those of you who kind of made a start four years ago and then quit very quickly, you need an encouragement to resume once again. So those are some of the reasons I want to just share this with you again. Um, John Piper, in his observation, makes this thing about planning. He says, unless I'm badly mistaken, one of the main reasons so many of God's children don't have a significant life of prayer is not so much that we don't want to, but that we don't plan to. If you don't, you don't just get up on summer morning and say, hey, let's go today if you want a vacation, you won't have anything ready. You don't know where to go. Nothing has been planned. But that is how many of us treat prayer. We get up day after day and realize that significant times of prayer should be a part of our life. But nothing is ever ready. We don't know where to go. Nothing has been planned. No time, no place, no procedure. And we all know, and this is the key part, and we all know that the opposite of planning is not a wonderful flow of deep, spontaneous experiences in prayer. The opposite of planning is a rut. If you don't plan a vacation, you will probably stay home and watch TV. And this sentence is worth the whole quote. The natural, unplanned flow of spiritual life sinks to the lowest ebb of vitality. The natural, unplanned flow of spiritual life sinks to the lowest ebb of vitality. There is a race to be run and a fight to be fought. If you want renewal in your life of prayer, you must plan to see it. That's what I want to unpack for you today. And for one or two or three of you, I don't know how many of you, if you are here, and you say, well, I'm not a Christ follower. I don't, of all this prayer business doesn't make sense to me. Listen, uh, maybe you don't pray at all. Maybe you pray... A quick mechanical Lord's Prayer once in a while. Maybe you say a hundred Hail Marys if you're from that background. Maybe you plead with God and make bargains with Him when you need something to go well in your life. But whatever it is you do, you probably experience prayer as a one-way thing. 
Larry Christensen in his book many years ago, What Happens When People Pray, tells about his two and a half year old niece who one morning at breakfast suddenly broke out saying, Jesus, Jesus, that's all I hear about in this house and he never says anything. You know, she kind of put her finger on the nub of the problem. We talk about a personal relationship with Jesus, but he's like no other person we know. He's not tangible, he's not audible, he's not visible. And so prayer for most of us, sporadic or otherwise, seems to be very much one way. And yet it's hard, it's a relationship, it's not a ritual. By the way, children get it better than anybody else. I, I just kind of Google some children's prayers, see how, see how natural and spontaneous these prayers are. Here's one. Would you make me a little brother? I want somebody to boss. Yeah. Frank and to the point and open. Here's another kid. Can you please put another holiday between Christmas and Easter? There's nothing good in there right now. I like this one. You don't have to worry about me. I always look both sides before I cross the street. <laughs> and I love this. The one I love the most is, please change the taste of asparagus. It tastes like grass. <laughs> and then he finishes by saying thank you. You know, it's just everything is spontaneous. He, he has no doubt that God can change the taste of asparagus and he's very thankful for that. Children get it naturally. It's a relational conversation. We get it all messed up. We've changed it into a ritual. So that's what I want to try and unpack for us today. Let's pray together. Father, I just acknowledge again, even reading this morning in your word, preparing my heart, it says, The Lord does not take pleasure in the strength of a man's legs. But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him and trust in his unfailing love. I have no confidence in my own abilities, Father. My words will be like a tale told by a fool, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. If you don't make something of them. And I have no trust in people's abilities to understand spiritual truth on their own either. Human intellects are woefully inadequate for this. We need to listen with our hearts. We need the eyes of our heart to be opened. We need our ears to be unstopped to hear the voice of God. So both preacher and people are desperately dependent on you this morning. Will you accomplish your purpose? Build your kingdom as we began this service by asking you in Jesus name. Okay, I call this sermon simply, you got to have a plan. You need a plan. So first and foremost, you need to set aside a block of time. Uh, I'll give you a couple of guidelines here. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly how much time we should be spending in praying every day. It's not a rule book, it's a relationship. Just like in relationships, we're not told how much time we need to spend talking with each other every day, the people that matter. Here are a couple of guidelines. First of all, it needs to be large enough to be meaningful. Relationships are built over periods of time. Helmut Thielke was a German pastor during the time of the Second World War in Germany. said something that I've never forgotten. He said, most people find prayer boring, so they only pray five minutes. He said, when the truth of the matter is, it is boring because they only pray five minutes. Just like you cannot build deep relationships by just dabbling in a few minutes here and there. It needs to be large enough to be meaningful. Alan Redpath, the English pastor, used to say, heaven will not dispense its treasures on self-satisfied souls. On the other hand, it also needs to be small enough to be manageable. You go away from here saying, ah, oh, from tomorrow morning I'm going to pray one hour every day or two hours every day. You're going to fail and now the enemy has guilt to work with in addition to your failures as well. So it's kind of a balance between something that's large enough to be meaningful and yet small enough to be manageable. A few deep conversations with God are more important than seven brief check-off on the to-do list. Just like in our own relationship. If you're married... 
One or two deep conversations with your wife each week is much better than seven two-minute conversations and say, I've kind of been there, done that for today. You know. So, people will say, how much? <laughs> we all like some guidelines. Okay, I'm going to give you a 40-minute track to run on. And don't get scared by 40 minutes. This past August, I was in Santa Clara, California, speaking at a church retreat. And one lady said to me afterwards, when you said that, I got scared. How am I ever going to spend 40 minutes alone with God? She said, by the time you finished, I got excited. So I hope you will just stay excited long enough to at least listen to me and don't tune me out. So that's just kind of a bit of a preliminary thing. We need to have some tracks to run on. This is a, there's a ritual. I mean, it's primarily a relationship, but we need to plan. Just like when I, get to, when I have some special times with my wife to talk, I plan what I'm going to be talking about, and she does too. And you have to have some kind of a plan, some kind of a ritual. You know, we all want prayer to be spontaneous and delightful. We say, shouldn't prayer be unplanned and spontaneous? Remember we said the natural ebb of an unplanned life is to sink to its lowest ebb of vitality. One of the principles I've learned from, my, in, from life, in various aspects of life, is that the discipline of structure always precedes the delight of spontaneity. The discipline of structure always precedes the delight of spontaneity. Several decades, many years ago, there used to be an artist in this uh, congregation. I mean, there are other artists still here, but that person isn't here. And I used to think that painters, she was a painter. I used to think that painters just kind of picked up their brush, stood in front of the canvas, and then reeled off these amazing paintings. And she said, oh, no, she said, there are six steps every artist has to go through. Every painter has to go through six rigorous steps. She said, you miss any of those, you're not going to get a good painting. These things that you consider spontaneous just happen right near the end, she said. The discipline of structure always precedes the delight of spontaneity. Whether it's musical abilities, whether it's riding a bike, whatever it is. And so, spontaneity will not come spontaneously. It comes out of a disciplined life. And so, that's what the tracks are for. And what I'm going to give to you, treat, treat them not so much as a rule book, as much as ingredients that you need to mix and match in a way that suits your own personality. Okay, here we go. First of all, I think you need to do something called clearing the decks. What do I mean by that? And by the way, the time signatures next to each one of them is my approximate proportion of breaking them down. Don't, don't be holding to that. There are some days when some parts of this will end up taking all of your prayer time. That's okay. It's a relationship. These are just very rough guidelines if you want some things to start off with. Clearing the decks. What do I mean by that? On any given day when I get down to praying, i got so many things on my mind. Some days there are few, some days there are a lot. C.S. Lewis compared them to a cloud of gnats that are buzzing around your head. Now, of course, what we try to do intuitively is to try to put them out of your mind. Have you ever tried to put something out of your mind? You've got to think about it to put it out of your mind and you can't put it in your mind anymore. That's like me telling you right now, stop thinking about lunch. Please stop thinking about lunch. Pastor Sundar says we should stop thinking about lunch. You can't do it. You've got to think about it to not think about it. It's self-defeating. It's exactly self-defeating to try and forget about this worrisome cloud that is sitting over you when you come to do something so significant as praying. Lewis said, taught, taught me, he said, bring them into your prayers. That's the way you clear the deck. So if, if on any particular day you've got things buzzing around you, by the way, you can do that in church every Sunday too. It may be health concerns, it may be concerns about your children or your grandchildren or an exam or some difficult meeting that you have or a business decision. What have you? So many things. 
can be there. Just mention them briefly. Bring them into your prayers and just ask Jesus to take them for a little while. So clearing the decks is important. I'm going to stop for a minute right now. For some of you have got things on your mind right now. You haven't heard anything in this service so far. Others of you have periodically lost your attention. Take a couple of minutes and give them to Jesus right now. Amen. Now the second thing you need to do is thank and praise. I think I shared this with you a few months ago in the Thanksgiving message, but one of the habits that I've started building into my prayer life for the last couple of years with incredible profit is before I go anywhere, once I've cleared the decks, is to actually think of every single thing in the last 24 hours that I'm thankful for. Before you ask me for anything, just you will be amazed at how long that list is. So just take a few moments. Why do I do that? Because Psalm, the psalmist says, I will enter your gates with thanksgiving and your courts with praise. So before we do anything, thanksgiving and praise are two important things to do. So take a few moments after you've kind of cleared the decks and handed over those buzzing things in your mind to God for a while to just thank Him. Different days are different things that will well up within your heart. But usually most of all, we'll have many things to be thankful for. We just don't think about them often. So take some time to thank God for the things that have happened just in the last little while. And then praise. Praise is simply ascribing to God worth. For me, I find that two tools help me. Some of the Psalms are ready-made praises. I read one this morning, Psalm 147. They just filled many, many things to thank God and to, and to praise Him for. Our worship songs, both old and new. I grew up in the, in the, in the era of hymns. So I have 25, 30, 50, 60 hymns that are already buried up in here that I can call upon any time. And I love a lot of the modern music as well. I'm not an either-or person. I just love both kinds. Of, if they are good, I love them. Because there are bad hymns and there are bad contemporary songs. Don't compare the best hymns to the worst contemporary songs, okay? Get the best of both worlds. And it doesn't matter if you can't sing. This, remember, this is not... First of all, if you're alone, you can dare to sing. But even if you're not... have got a good voice. Use the words. Use the words. And we've all got PD, you know, phones and whatnot. So you find a song that we sing in church. Say, oh, that's a great way to praise God. Make a note of it. Get the words into your little PD and pull it out when you need it. See, we're learning. We borrow language left, right, and center, and eventually it becomes our language as well. So I just find that thanksgiving and praise are important. Uh, So take a few moments to thank God, and take a few moments just to praise one song, two songs, that praise some dimension of who God is. This is before we've asked Him for anything. It's important. So I'm going to pause again, and I'm going to ask you to do especially the first thing. Can you take a few moments to think about all the things that happened in the last 24 hours that you can be truly thankful to God for? And maybe you have to think for more than 24 hours because you haven't thanked Him in a while. But take a few moments to deliberately think about all the things that you're truly thankful for and take a few moments to thank Him because Jesus pointed out the fact of the 10 people that He healed, only one person came back and said thank you to Him and Jesus said, where are the other nine? So thank you. Amen. Thank you, Father. Now we're getting to the heart of the matter. After we've cleared the decks and we've taken some time to thank God and praise Him, we're coming to the Scriptures now. 
You know, so often we put those two things separately. We kind of read the Bible and then we pray. Yet, get the key to making this conversation two-way as opposed to just one way is to see that scripture and prayer belong to each other. And so, we're going to take some time to read scripture together. Now, in order to do that, you need to open with a brief prayer for the Spirit's guidance and illumination. Because when you come to reading the scriptures, you have to understand it's like no other book. Yes, it is a book that can be studied and analyzed and you can study Greek and Hebrew and culture and literature and different people will do that to different degrees. The scholars will do more than the other. But most of us are not intended to be scholars and you never will be. This is God's word. It's a living word. It's the voice of the Lord speaking to us. And that interaction will never happen without the work of the Holy Spirit. Because God gave the Spirit. Because Paul says in Corinthians, the natural man cannot understand the things of God. They are spiritually discerned. It is the spiritual man, the spiritual woman. In other words, we who have the Holy Spirit. Not, it's not reserved for some special Christians who are mature. It's for every single one of us. So before we read God's word, it would be wise for us to take a few moments to just ask the Holy Spirit to illumine that word to us. Again, scripture can be used for this prayer. Uh, Psalm 19 is a beautiful psalm. Psalm, 100 and, psalm 119, which has 176 verses. They're all prayers for God to magnify the word. You could do worse than just take eight or nine verses of that and pray them each day. Just repeat them. You don't even have to make them up. They're already prayers. And they're all prayers about God's word. They're prayer for the spirit to illumine the word of God. It's just a pause to invite the spirit to do his work. And he will open up the scriptures for you. So pause to take a couple of minutes to just ask for the spirit's illumination and ask for the spirit's guidance. And then turn to your assigned passage for that day. Now why do I say assigned passage as opposed to reading the Bible at random? About 35 years ago, just shortly after I began my ministry here, I preached some of the earliest versions of this message. Because right from the beginning of my ministry, I knew that this was something I wanted to grow in and teach my people in as well. It's just been continued to be refined over the decades. And at the end of that, one guy went on the way out. He was a young Christian. He's an elder in another church today. He said, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. I'm going to thank you for preaching the sermon. I said, fine. So next Sunday when I met him, I said, so how's it going? He said, oh, awful. It was terrible. I said, what happened? He said, well, I woke up the next morning. He said, I opened the Bible in in James. I read it, didn't like it, so I moved to the Psalms. I was reading there, didn't like it, moved to somewhere else. I gave it up. You need a plan. You you need a plan so that you don't waste any time wondering where you're going to be reading for that day. I just find this incredibly valuable. I don't waste any time at all. I know exactly where to read because that's the next portion for the day. Now, if you want to read through the whole Bible every year, it takes about 15 minutes. If you want to just start, as remember I said, make it small enough to be manageable, yet large enough to be meaningful. If you've never done this, just read through the New Testament. That takes about six to eight minutes of reading a day, which is probably manageable for most of us. So open your Bible, and you can download all kinds of reading programs from the Internet. If you have trouble, come to me, I'll give you one. And just read your assigned portion for that day. You ask for the Holy Spirit to illumine the Word, and now you just read that portion as you read. As you read, here are some things that I encourage you to look for. And by the way, we're going to take a few moments to do that, so just get over there. Mark what strikes you as initiating speech and respond accordingly. And this is the bulk of your prayer time, 15 minutes out of the 40. What do I mean by initiating speech? See, we, we make another mistake when it comes to prayer of thinking that prayer is us talking to God first, that we initiate the whole process. That's why so much of our praying has been reduced to prayerless. Give me this, do this, do that, bless this person. That kind of stuff gets boring after a while. It's all one way. 
You know, it's not, a, it's not even talking to God, it's talking at God. He doesn't even have to be in the room. We just finish off your letter. Prayer is not initiating speech. Prayer is answering speech. We respond to something that God speaks to us first. If you think of God's word as God setting the agenda for our conversation with him. Then it just makes prayer so much more exciting. Because you're not in charge. You don't have to make anything happen. He does. He does. So how do you learn to recognize initiating speech? Here are some other things that have helped me. Here are three things you can look for. Uh, it might reveal a sin. The passage of scriptures that you read that day for those eight or ten minutes might reveal a sin in you. It might reveal a shortcoming or a sin. Some sins of commission, sins of omission, whatever they are. If it does, your response is confession. <laughs> you don't praise God then. If he shows you that there's a shortcoming in your life, some area that you need to deal with, some particular action that was transgressed his law, well, you just need to confess it. Confession becomes the appropriate response to divine initiative at that point. Or you might come across a promise. Now may the God of peace that brought forth again from the dead, our Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, equip you with everything good to do his will and work in you what is well-pleasing in your sight. There's a magnificent promise of what God will do for us, in us and through us. So if you come across a promise, what can you do? There are at least three different ways you can respond to a promise. And by the way, this is what makes it so so vital and alive. Two people can read the same passage of scripture, can read the same promise and respond completely differently. And that's okay, because you're two different people. Or you can read the same promise on two different times and respond differently. Just like in a real conversation, what do I mean? Some days you just need to thank God. If it's a promise that has already been true, the promise may be that this morning I read about God's faithfulness to provide. But my response was just thanksgiving, because He has. For all of my life, He has provided faithfully. And I've seen Him do it in the lives of my children as well. And as I look to a future that's more uncertain than in the past, I'm able to thank Him for that. Other times you can listen to a promise and you say, Oh God, I need faith to believe that. That's a pretty difficult promise for me to believe at this time. In the face of present circumstances, that's really difficult to believe. I need faith, Jesus. I need faith. So you pray for faith that day. Or you might say, Hey, that's exactly what my husband needs, my wife needs, my children need, my church needs, my pastor needs, my fellow worker needs. I need to pray for them. It could be intercession. See how this works? The same promise can either call for thanksgiving one day, Faith, it could call forth all three. You might be thankful, you might need more faith, and you might pray that for somebody else as well. This is what makes it alive and rich. And by the way, don't be afraid. Some days you will never get past this. Because you're so overwhelmed. God's Spirit just has a way of taking over. So that's the second thing you can look for. It reveals a sin, makes a promise. Or thirdly, something that commands an action. You might have a portion of scripture that encourages you to do something. Give. You say, oh, I haven't really done anything about the global poverty thing. I may need to do something about it. Or it could be, if you, have, you know your brother has something against you, leave your gift at the altar, go and make things right and come back. So it's an action to restore a relationship. Maybe it's not confession to God, maybe it's an apology to somebody else that you've hurt. So if you come out, and, and here again, the responses are different. Sometimes you just need strength. You, you need physical strength to, to do it. So you may need to pay for just physical strength and physical energy. Or you may need courage. Sometimes it's not a matter of strength. It's just a matter of boldness. Some of us by nature. I'm not a bold person by nature at all. 
And so half, half of my prayers and the commands and action are always to do with courage. I just need a lot more courage than some of you have, you know. And so I pray often for courage. And sometimes a reminder. We have both strength and courage, but we just need a reminder. That's another one of my problems. To ask my wife, you know. Something needs to be done. I make up my mind to do it. I think I can do it. I have the courage to do it. And then I'm into the middle of my, my workflow. And it just goes out of my mind. And, and I've heard amazing stories of people who have asked God to remind them. In one particular case, it involved, it involved actually a command to set things right with somebody else. And there was a time uh, limit to this for other reasons that I can't go into now. And so this person prayed, Lord, if you need me to say, speak it to this person and set it right, let them show up in the next 15 minutes. And they did. And as a result of that, you again see your spirit of gratitude and thanksgiving. So if you command an action, by the way, there's one more I forgot to add here. And that is sometimes the word is just a word of praise. It's God revealing his nature, in which case your response is praise. So here are some different, this is what responsive speech is like. You recognize God either revealing a sin, making a promise, or commanding an action. And then you just respond. So this is the bulk of your prayer time. You've cleared the decks, you've thanked God, you've praised Him, you've read the scripture, asked for the Spirit to illumine you, and as He speaks to you, respond to them. So what you're going to do right now, we're actually going to take a few minutes to do it very briefly. We're not going to take 15 minutes. We're going to take two or three minutes to do a very brief portion of God's Word. And I'm going to read it a couple of times, and I want you to listen. It might reveal a sin to you. It might make a promise, and you may have to respond in one or more of these ways that will come to your mind. Or it may command an action, in which case you need one of these things. Or it may be just something about God and you want to praise Him. Alright? So we're just going to read that text together. It's from Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30. You know that well. And that time Jesus said, so you listen, okay? You listen either for a command, you listen for a promise, and you listen for a revelation of your heart. Or just substance of praise. At that time Jesus said. I praise you Father Lord of heaven and earth. Because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned. And revealed them to your little children. Yes Father. For this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me all you who are weary and are burdened. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's read it one more time. You keep listening. What is Jesus saying to you? At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to be by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Alright? Whatever He said to you. Take some time to talk back to him.
Father, I pray that what we as a congregation are experiencing in a microcosm in these few minutes will be like living seed that you've planted into our hearts that will grow to bear fruit that will just revolutionize our communion with you. In Jesus' name, Amen. And then finally, as you finish up your time, here's the last. So you clear the decks, thank and praise God, open with a brief prayer for the Spirit's guidance and illumination, Read the assigned portion for the day. Mark what strikes you as initiating speech and respond accordingly. And finally, commit the rest of the day to him. By the time you finish your prayer time, there's still oodles of things that you could pray about, but you've got work to do as well. And so I usually come to the end of my prayer time and I just rehearse all the things that are waiting for me for that day. I have appointments with people. I may have studying to do that day. I may have a board meeting to attend. I may have a premarital counseling session that I have to do. Uh, may I have to go home for something. Whatever. Whatever are the things that are there before you, just briefly, just like in clearing the decks at the beginning, you handed over a whole bunch of things to God. At the end of the day, there's lots of other things you could have prayed about, but your block of time is over, and some days He will keep you there longer, but most days we've got work to do, you know. And so you need to hand those over. It doesn't take a long time. Just as simply as you hand the buzzing things around your head to God, name them. And the reason you do that is God's gone there before you. Jesus said the The father is at work and the son is also working. The son does nothing except what he sees the father do. The son speaks nothing except what he hears the father. God's gone there before you. Jesus is already at work in every one of the places that you're going to. And so just acknowledge that and ask him to just keep that before you, to go before you. And you know, I've forgotten that sometimes. But I've never remembered that he hasn't shown up. He's faithful and so we get to know him. Okay, so that's kind of my attempt to give you a, a workable plan. Uh, yeah, you just, it's up to you now. You're going to have to put it into practice and, and see what happens, which then brings us to that. Oh, by the way, one last thing. You need to persevere in this. You need to ask for the Spirit. You're going to feel like quitting. Some days right in the middle, like my friend who started for three minutes and wanted to give up, or after a few days or a few weeks. Jesus did this in Gethsemane where he was praying for the courage and the strength. For him it was a command to drink this cup. That was the command. And he needed strength. He needed courage. And that's exactly what he prayed for. And it says in the middle, when he was sweating drops of blood, he said, God sent an angel to strengthen him. Why did the angel strengthen him? So he could keep praying. He continued to pray afterwards because the angel strengthened him. Well, if Jesus in his human incarnation needed the strength of the spirit to keep praying, what makes you think you and I can get by without it? And so when you find your zeal flagging for some reason, whether in the middle of an actual prayer time or over a period of time, just ask for the Holy Spirit to encourage you, to strengthen you, so you can continue to pray. Ask for the Spirit help to keep praying. I want to finish with this one quote, and then the worship team will come and lead us again. Dallas Willard in his book, Hearing God, talks about the plan. And what do we do now? Now that you have a plan. He said, now is the time for decision and especially for planning. Just as there is no faith that does not act, so there is no act without some plan. Faith grows from the experience of acting on plans and discovering God to be acting with you. This is a plan, act upon it, and you will discover that God has shown up there. You cannot follow Jesus without a plan to serve as a vessel in which the treasure of his life is received. Your plan will be the cross on which you will die to your old self and meet him in his life beyond death. So folks, we're not the suffering church. We're not the persecuted church for whom carrying the cross means a whole lot of things that you and I know nothing about. But how about this cross? 
How about the cross of simply dying on this plan every day, just coming into his presence and seeing what happens when God shows up and ministers to you. May your prayer life never be the same again. This is my benediction, not just for this week, but for this year for you, for this coming year. First of all, may Jesus, who is our faithful and merciful high priest, pour out his own spirit of intercession into your heart as he draws you regularly into the presence of the living God. And in his presence, may the spirit of God continue to open the word of, open your eyes to see wondrous things in his law. May you recognize his promises. May you recognize his commands. May you recognize his rebukes. And may your response be wholehearted so that your whole body, soul, and spirit is swallowed up in communion with the living God. And may this gift never lose its glory. Go in Jesus' name. Amen.